0: The Nehemiah Project is a nonprofit that replaces hopelessness with hope through biblical counseling in Mandeville, Louisiana. If you are blessed, encouraged, and equipped through our podcast, please consider leaving us a review and giving towards the continuation of our ministry at tnproject.org donate. And now enjoy the next episode of the Nehemiah Project
1: podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Mike Linstead and I'm joined by my ministry partner, Pastor Chad Wiles. And today we are going to discuss depression. We're gonna look at the topic through a biblical lens, uh, specifically through a biblical counseling lens. Mm -hmm. And uh, really it's our hope that if you have ever suffered from uh, depression, if you ever experienced depression, we would pray and hope that this podcast would be a resource to you and uh, hopefully provide some light on this dark topic, Mm -hmm. that is depression. And Chad, I thought that we could just read the most depressing Psalm in the entire Psalter, (laughs) Psalm 88. So
0: so you're saying it's gonna be a really encouraging podcast. The light is at the end of the tunnel,
1: (laughs) I promise. But in all seriousness, uh, Psalm 88 is truly the uh, darkest Mm -hmm. Psalm. Mm -hmm. And um, the reason why I wanna read it um, is simply because I love how the Bible doesn't shy away from Mm -hmm. speaking about reality as it is. You know, I think that's one of the evidences that the Bible actually is the inspired text of God. It is God's voice, God breathed, because it talks about life as it actually is. It doesn't try to sugarcoat things. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyone who goes to the field church and is doing the Bible reading plan right now, you know that if you're reading Genesis with your kids, there's been a couple of times so far where you've had to go, well, I hope they don't ask any questions about that part (laughs) because there's some very gruesome and graphic things that happen uh, Mm -hmm. in life and they're recorded in the Bible. Yeah, And so Psalm 88 is just one of those areas where the Bible speaks to life as it actually is. It doesn't end on a a good note, um, but just to keep this somewhat encouraging, um, there are many places in the Bible where we see examples of people who are depressed, but... Uh, do you see light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, we have a whole book called Lamentations,
0: yeah. or our laments, which is this crying out. And one thing I'll note on this before we read it is, I think this is such an evidence of God's grace to us as humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is God acknowledging the realities of suffering and sin and and the emotional state that can cause depression. doesn't leave us... Um, as if he doesn't connect with us or doesn't understand. Yeah. Uh, By his grace, he puts these things throughout Scripture, I think, to help us know that he does understand, and throughout the Scripture, he gives the answer to the
1: the issues. Yeah, I'm reminded of Hebrews 4, where it talks about Christ, you know. Uh, he was even described in Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows. That's right. You know, So God doesn't just have what I say textbook knowledge of right. the human condition. He walked
0: it. He was right?
1: experiential. 100% man, uh, 100% God mm-hmm. in the person of Christ. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 88, um, and then we'll, we'll just sort of riff off of this, and, and we'll see where the Lord takes this podcast. Mm-hmm. Psalm 88, verse 1, I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, it says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep, Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me and you've made me a horror to them. I I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long, they close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness." Hmm. Now, what's um, very interesting about this context that surrounds this Psalm is it's written uh, by the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah are the keepers of the tabernacle. They, They literally led Israel in procession to the place of worship. Hmm. This is a song. It's a very, you know, we would say this is like an emo song, you yeah, know? This yeah. is a depressing song. Yeah. And yet, they are, the, the the singers of this are being led by the sons of Korah into the house of God as they sing this. Mm-hmm. And, and and it would seem to us to be quite strange. Mm-hmm. It's like we don't think of um, worship in uh, uh, that sense of despair, right? Yeah. But you can worship God in the midst of despair. Yeah. And I think this psalm certainly points that out. Um, there's, I mean, five, there's five takeaways that I'll, that I'll get to after you go, Chad.
0: I think that's an important point that you just made. Because I, I believe, I know, from my experience of counseling people, a lot of times there's this false belief that I can only worship God if I have everything all together, mm. if I feel close to him, if, if I've pleased him. And that's not true. Right. Um, We worship God, like you said, even in our despair. Because the psalm is still going to God, still Mm -hmm. seeking the Lord, still trying to understand how to be faithful to him in the midst of sorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I think that's a really important point to bring out.
1: Yeah, again, I'm reminded of Christ on the cross. Yeah. Even when he felt forsaken, he still said, my God, my God, my God. Why have mm. you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. That was still Jesus God, you mm-hmm. know, so I think that is um certainly a, a an important point to remember yeah but there's there is five takeaways um and I got these five takeaways from a, a book I can't remember which one it was um probably some biblical counseling book mm-hmm. but um five takeaways that I do want to just bring up that we see in this psalm. And then I'd like to just go over the psalm and just make some observations about the person who mm-hmm. maybe wrote this psalm or how we can relate to it. But the five takeaways are, number one, that God understands the difficulties of life in a broken world. Like we said earlier, mm-hmm. God understands the reality of your life. He gets it. He gets it not from textbook experience, but gets it from experience. Mm-hmm. The second takeaway is that God Promises or God's promises are for people who live in such a world, right? Not the higher, the the holier than thou's or the elite, right? It's for everyday common people. It's for everyone. The third takeaway is that God's uh, God's honesty about the experiences actually invites me to be honest with Him. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that one strikes me personally as Mm. I found myself at times in my own life, like I'm talking to God, like. Very formulaic. Like he doesn't know, know me. Right, like, like he has to be spoken to in a particular <laughs> yeah, way. I've and done that too. I think we all do it. Yeah, yeah. We may do it out of reverence or what have you, but I mean, I, we got to remember, like we see in this altar, like people just crying out to him. Yeah. Being upset.
0: And it's, and it's sort of a uh, a foolishness really that, we, that God doesn't already know our every thought or every... Yeah. Like just say what's on your mind because he already knows what's on your mind and allow the word of God to shape what's on your mind versus pretend like uh, you're in a place that you're not.
1: Yeah, I (laughs) mean, I even remember like, if you listen to like Martin Lloyd-Jones on preacher and uh, preaching on the talks that he did. So when he prays, he'll like go into like old English, you know, and I've noticed a lot of pastors, especially the older pastors did that, you know, for whatever reason, they started to say thy and thou when Mm -hmm. they would be praying. I don't know why. I mean, obviously, I can't speak for them, but uh, we—I don't think we really should do that, you know. Yeah. Like you just said, that like God already knows our heart. You know? Yeah. Um, but again, I don't want to disrespect their reasons for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself doing things like that. Mm-hmm. So the fourth takeaway then is that God wants me to run to Him with my doubts and my fears. Yeah. Right. That's critical. Very. That's key. I read a quote the other day about prayer, and uh, you know who gets rich in God's kingdom? Hmm. Beggars. Beggars get rich in God's kingdom. What I mean rich, I mean spiritually yeah. wealthy, right? Yeah. You got to go to him and beg him mm-hmm. for whatever it is that is oppressing your soul,
0: right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's right. You know, Matthew 5.
1: That's right. Jesus starts his Beatitudes with that. Yeah. That's why I say those are the people who get rich in God's mm-hmm. kingdom. Those are the people who grow in godliness, right? That's right. The beggar, the pauper
0: the one who understands his despair. Yeah, you know?
1: absolutely, absolutely. And the fifth takeaway then is that God does not want me to quote unquote fake it with him, yeah. right? That's like a corollary, corollary to what we just said. I mean, we can't approach God like he's like an idol, mm-hmm. you know, that needs to be appeased by something I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, if you're in Christ, he has been appeased mm-hmm. by something he did on your behalf, <laughs> Right. right? So we can be real with him. We're, yeah. his, we're his children. I think there's a balance to that, that mm-hmm. sort of way of thinking about it too because I've seen people get, well, we can be real with him and they just get really flippant
0: mm-hmm. and like
1: quite profane, mm-hmm. right? I think there is a healthy dose of reverence we still need to have. Yeah. Um, and again, that's very much an arguable thing, but yeah, when you read the scriptures, I mean... God is holy, he's righteous, he's yeah. good. We're to fear him, right? But yeah, not to be scared of him, per se.
0: Ephesians 4 reminds us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And that, that is couched between let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth and then let all bitterness, malice, slander. like So
1: yeah.
0: when we're saying being honest with God, we're not saying come with flippant you know, speech or right. you know, uh, those things. There should be a reverence for the Lord, but an honesty before God too
1: yeah, I mean when I said don't be afraid of him, you know there 's a difference when we get saved mm-hmm. right we It'd be like our child fearing the father 's discipline, you know mm-hmm. we should be afraid of that, yeah, absolutely, but we don 't fear Him like we did when we were enemies of God right you know right so so those are the five takeaways, and let 's just walk through this one, Chad now, just to see some of the things that come out. What are some of the characteristics of this person who seems like they 're very much in a depressed state
0: well it begins with an acknowledgement of salvation from god right oh yahweh the god of my salvation i've cried out by day and throughout the night before you and then there's a request like let my prayer come before you like i know that you're the place of hope i know Mm -hmm. you're the place of salvation please hear my cry Mm -hmm. is the is the first thing that i see here
1: yeah so maybe they just feel as if God's not hearing their prayers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then you see in verse 3, my soul is full of troubles. Mm-hmm. My life draws near to sheol. I mean literally I feel like I'm dying. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah, there's a real hopelessness in this. Yeah. Uh, in this person who's writing this psalm. Um and I I think that's good to acknowledge. Man, we we live in such a sinful fallen world and in a fallen state ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's there is a lot of hopelessness around us. There's a lot of, I, I, I don't want to, it's not hopeless within ourselves if you're a Christian because we know there's the Holy Spirit and God's word and there's always hope for change. But there's a reality in the battle of our own sin. Yeah. And there's a reality in the upward battle in this life in this world because of the sin that exists yeah. all around us. Yeah.
1: I, was, I had my, my uh, Bible study on Friday It was me and a couple other guys. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, there's a bunch of guys in my group that we've all had like cancer, (laughs) Uh you know, and we've all had like, I mean, pretty serious surgeries because of it. And so we're kind of just joking. You know, uh, I was sharing about how I just hurt my back. And Mm -hmm. and then this other guy was sharing about how he just hurt himself doing this. And Mm -hmm. this other guy said the same thing. And I'm like, well... Let's. Uh, I guess we just keep sharing about our daily <laughs> dose of suffering. Let's keep it going. Yeah, 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 you know. But that it really just illustrates what you just said. Yeah, you know. Truly, this life is full of right. suffering. Right.
0: Yeah, we have sinful fallen bodies that are, you know, disease and you know, it's
1: one thing after the other. You know.
0: And then, if you have kids, there's this fear of their future and their and keeping them safe and being able to put enough food on the table and mm. pay your mortgage. I mean, there's just. There's plenty There's no of things. End. There's plenty of things to be. There's no end. Worried about.
1: And certainly the the psalmist here when he says my my soul is full of troubles, he he's got to feel like that. There's just no end here. Yeah. And I'm crying out to God and God is not hearing me. That's what it says in verse five. I'm like those whom you remember no more.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Verse six and seven. He, he says you've put me in the deepest part of the pit. Your wrath. Lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me
0: mm-hmm. with.
1: I mean, he's feeling like God is against him.
0: Yeah, I'm reminded of Job. Yeah, yeah. With this, you know, reading through that right now in our church's Bible uh, reading plan, and it it's stuck out to me as I was pondering it, meditating upon it, mm-hmm. that um, we see in the writing of Job the the narrative and what's happening in heaven. And then we see what's happening with Job and his friends and the people around him. And Job is not aware of what's happened in heaven. Yeah, the friends are not aware of. And so for Job's experience, it felt like, what? Where did God go?
1: Yeah. What happened?
0: What happened?
1: Everything was great.
0: I was following you, God, yeah. <laughs> doing what you said. And um, I think when we experience trial and suffering important for us to have a good theology of suffering because if we don't it is so easy to lose sight yeah and to forget that God is near even in our sufferings and God is sovereign over even the trials that we face because that's where the hope lies but man when you're going through it it can certainly feel like where did God go like, why isn't, he, why isn't he hearing my prayers?
1: Absolutely. And that that's more common than we think, you know? Like sure. Everyone puts their church face on on Sundays when you go to yeah. church. How's it going? Oh, good. Busy. Yeah. It's like, dude, half the people in that room, I mean, we just know because we're the pastors. But like, <laughs> yeah. you, I mean, it's just serious stuff happening.
0: I've counseled half of
1: them. Oh, network. I know. <laughs> I know what's I going know. on. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it, it's just serious stuff going on. And so yeah. like, why I'm saying that is we see even just in basic human interaction, like we try to paint these pictures of ourselves that don't Mm -hmm. acknowledge reality, you know? We really do, you know? Try to like make it sound like less than it actually is.
0: Yeah, or maybe you're not experiencing a suffering at the moment, but have been through some, some deep trials that you haven't ever faced like this tried to mask them or stuff them down, and it is still having an effect because they haven't been reconciled. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded because I'm writing my notes for the upcoming conference, and Mm -hmm. one of my breakout sessions is about child sexual abuse and the impact in our adulthood. Mm -hmm. And statistically speaking, 70% of the people that are in your congregation have probably experienced some sort of child sexual abuse at the hands Mm -hmm. of someone that they knew. That creates a lot of deep trauma trauma and depression, depression, all all sorts of stuff. And so that idea of just like putting on the church face, it's like, man, God understands the calamity that we face. Yeah. And he's not, he's not too small not to help us deal with it.
1: Yeah, but there is, there is this like negative sort of feedback loop in, in that yeah. traumatic type of experience, you know, like mm-hmm. the shame element comes in. There's, so there's uh, all these compounding factors, absolutely. right? Shame. Feeling like you're the only one it's ever happened to. Oh yeah, you know all isolation. These it's like it's like what the psalmist says. You overwhelm me with your waves. You know, you think about the the waves of these compounding factors hitting you. Yeah, and so of course we're going to try to sort of scrounge around and and put our you know our our face on mm-hmm. just so we don't appear publicly like how we feel you know internally. Yeah. Uh, I've certainly been there in my life. You absolutely, know, and, I, and like you said, seventy percent have experienced that particular thing. Yeah, that's
0: just one. of just many one thing, things. You know? you know, not to mention, you know, my wife and I—we went through a couple miscarriages. I know many in our church have experienced that. That's a, yeah. certainly a devastating thing. I mean, they're just living in a sinful, fallen world, man. It is. I get the feeling of this psalmist is yeah. what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So he goes on to talk about how he's just alone. You know, I'll just skip to the very end. Verse 18, mm-hmm. he says, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. Mm. My companions have become darkness. Mm. So I think this really does accurately describe the experience of depression, Yeah. right? Darkness, mm-hmm. fog, yeah. right? Um, loneliness, mm-hmm. all of these things. And these are very serious things. Um. But there's hope.
0: There is. There is hope.
1: There is. Right. And so, as a biblical counselor, how do we approach? How do we approach the topic of depression mm-hmm. when it comes in the door? Um, and, and what are some? What are some, some? Some. What are the basic operating procedures, like your checklist, if you will? Yeah. You just things you just automatically do when you first meet someone who's come in with depression. Yeah.
0: All right. That's a loaded question. There's a lot of things. First, I want to talk about how to love someone who's struggling with depression. First, you meet them with compassion. You meet them with understanding and you meet them with hope mm-hmm. because someone who's experiencing depression um, is lacking in hope. So the first thing you, you don't want to do is start hitting them with, well, you're a sinner and you're, the, you know, mm-hmm. that's true. We'll get there. That's true of all of us. But how do I begin to enter into the suffering with them? I'm reminded of Galatians 6, right, to bear one of those burdens. Mm -hmm. And um, so the first thing that I want to do is begin to bear that burden, Mm -hmm. to seek to understand why someone's in a place of depression, understand what factors could be playing in. So that leads to step two. I want to understand all the factors because there's a lot of factors that can cause a person to get into this place.
1: Right. right. Well, let, let me give you a couple. Like, yeah, let me ahead. just give you a couple of scenarios, right? Yeah. We've got someone who, let's say, comes in, they've been sinned against. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Then let's say we've got another person who just lost their business. Yeah. Okay. We'll just start with those two.
0: Yeah. So there's a hopelessness around suffering. And this is where I said a theology of suffering is really important that we live in a sinful fallen world and you're going to be sinned against in this life. There's no one who's not gonna be sinned against in some way, shape, or form. That's Mm -hmm. the reason why the scriptures tell the body to rebuke one another in love. Why is that there? Because you're gonna have to rebuke one another in love because there's gonna be sin involved with even the believers, let alone those that deny Christ altogether, right? Mm -hmm. And those factors do cause hopelessness especially if your hope was in that relationship in some way, mm-hmm. right? Which I'm kind of leading towards the heart issue of depression. But if your hope is not solidly in the Lord through the suffering, that could easily lead to despair, mm-hmm. right? Because you're losing something that you had had hope in.
1: So your expectations yeah. of this relationship or using the business, right. your expectations of what you were going to get from the business, right? they were misplaced,
0: yeah, and, and I want to say that... Were they,
1: were they just wrong altogether or...
0: Not necessarily. It's, it's not wrong, obviously, to build a business.
1: Right, I'm just trying to clarify the hope element.
0: It, it's not wrong to want good friendships. Mm-hmm. But if your, if your ultimate hope in your worth and identity rests upon those things, yeah. you will become devastated to a place of despair. If your hope's in Christ, you're still going to have hurts. So I'm not saying that you should just be like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's going to cause some grief. Yeah. But grief without hope is what leads to depression.
1: So I think just to pause there for a moment and really just unpack this, because you just said the identity. Yeah. That's the critical element. I it find is. it always comes back to that. It always does. It's, so when you say hope, really, I think, almost like in a synonym way, yeah. you're talking about identity. Because situations are going to challenge who Mm. you believe yourself to be.
0: That's it. And when that's shaky, when um, you you start to wonder who you are based Mm. upon the sin that's been done to you, and I'll use, I mean, I know it's the extreme example, but sexual abuse. That rightly causes one to question, like, what happened? Did I do something wrong? Did I, you know, that's just a common thing. Like, you start to question your own worth and your own... Goodness and your own whatever, right? If there's not a good understanding of sin and suffering, that that would lead to a place of hopelessness.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, That's why I brought up the business guy too. You know, absolutely. Because it's almost like, you know, I mean, you Mm -hmm. started the MI project with me, and you Mm -hmm. know, the the amount of work that goes into doing absolutely. You put in your blood, your sweat, your tears. You right. don't get paid. You, you know, you're not. You're just doing it because it's a calling, right? Yeah. And it doesn't work out, right? And it's yeah. like, man, for someone who's not in Christ, like, who are they, right? Right? Or even if you're in Christ and you're not rooted, if, like, if I what's I place, going on?
0: If you or I place our identity in this ministry, that's right. And it uh, falters or peters out. We're gonna. It's gonna lead us to a place of depression if our hope was tied up in and our identity was tied up in this ministry.
1: Yeah. And you hear this, the, the weight Mm -hmm. of identity. Yeah. You hear this in how we introduce ourselves to people. Yeah. You know, um, my name is Mike. I'm a pastor. Yeah. You're, I'm not a pastor. That's what I happen to do. Right. Right. But we, but that's just how we, right. That's That's how we introduce ourselves. Right. Because we derive our sense of, Mm -hmm. Well-being, status—you name it—from our occupational title.
0: Yeah, and a good example of how to have the right perspective is Paul. You know, in Philippians when he says to live as Christ, to die as yeah. He even in chapter three talks about all his credentials and says those they're like filthy rags compared to knowing Christ. Yeah, knowing Christ has to be our identity. Yeah, and if it's not, it'll get tested, and that's why God brings in trials. It's not that God doesn't know. Where our hearts at. He's not testing us in order for him to figure out. He tests us for us to see where our misplaced hopes
1: are. So that Paul we was, can repent. Paul was challenged in that. Absolutely. The Second Corinthians, let me just read this real real briefly. He says, uh, Second Corinthians one, um, he talks about how he was so so much in despair that he that he was uh where is it? in verse 8 yeah for we do not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we ex- experienced in Asia for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death mm-hmm. but yeah that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead yeah so it's like he saw the lesson right there yeah you know
0: that's right so to go back to the process of counseling yeah step 1 was to show compassion and hope step mm-hmm. 2 Was to understand the circumstances, understand what's led this person here. Also, in step two, before I get to step three, I wanna understand if there's anything physically going on. Yeah. Because there are also some physical factors living in a fallen, sinful state that can contribute to the feelings of depression. Yeah. You know, um, obviously, sins like slothfulness and things of that nature can do that. But if there's thyroid issues, if there's something, Low testosterone in males no, like there's
1: hormones are a major factor. hormones, yeah,
0: so we want to counsel the whole person, understand that's kind of in that category of suffering, right, like our bodies are failing, and so I'm going to also encourage that person to go get a physical like let's see if there's anything also happening here,
1: yeah,
0: um the ultimate answer is still the heart, which I'll get to step three. But those factors need to be considered as well.
1: Yeah, I usually will ask, like I was actually yesterday, I asked a guy, well, before we get into the scripture mm. and the heart, let me ask you a few questions about your physical life. Yeah. What's your diet like? Yeah. How's your sleep? Yeah. Um, how's your exercise? Right. What's your caffeine intake like? Yeah. Right? Are you taking any supplements? Yeah. Like those sorts of things. Because again, we're integrated humans. We're physical and spiritual beings. That's
0: right. We're embodied Spirits. people. So we have, to, we have to consider the body. Yeah, Absolutely. And so the, those factors should be um, taken into consideration as well.
1: Oh, and the other one. Yeah. How is your, if you're married, right? Yeah. How's your relationship with your wife? Absolutely. How's the other one? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that kind of goes in that uh, understanding factors, interpersonal relationships, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Then step three is we get to the hard issues. And we, we already talked about really the issue is identity and worth and where your hope lies, mm-hmm. how you define yourself. Do you define yourself biblically or not? And one of the things that I explain to, to people uh, in counseling is people who struggle with depression have it halfway right. They understand, at least to some degree, that they're not great, mm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's still an issue of pride, because there's a desire to be great and you're in one's own self in some way, right? So they're halfway there. They're not the boastful, arrogant pride that we think about when we think of pride, right? The blindness of, you know, thinking that there's something that they're not. They understand that they have a lot of issues, problems. They wish they were something else, Mm -hmm. but that's therein lies still the pride because it still determines on self and it's still trying to find one's worth in something other than Christ. Mm. And so... In that process, I wanna begin to ask some questions to dig out the heart. You know, how do you define your worth? Where do you place your hope? What are the things that you think about most? What do you, you know, I'm starting to go down, what do you desire what do you want? And in that, usually we'll find some idols, Mm -hmm. maybe the fear of man, maybe success, maybe, you know, and some of those things. And the hope really comes as we repent through those, through the gospel, The put off, put on. Put off the old man. Put off false beliefs and false idols. And we can make idols out of everything. We talk about it on this podcast all the time. But an idol just simply comes out of where you worship, where do you place your treasure. Um, And it helps us put those and display those and begin to repent and renew our mind to put the proper hope in Christ. So... Take a few idols, fear of man, the Bible's clear, don't fear man, fear the one who can put both body and soul in hell, fear God. Don't seek the approval of man, seek the approval of God. Don't try to uh, rest in your own control, trust in the sovereign control of God. Mm-hmm. Right? We're, we're putting off and putting on through Christ, through the word of God, what is true and help someone walk through uh, hope in what the scriptures say and and that's going to that process of repentance is what's going to lead to hope and lead to someone coming out of a state of depression and begin to see the fruits of the spirit grow joy and peace right those mm. those things that are found in that only the spirit grows as we repent and allow the spirit to to take over if you will
1: yeah i do want to kind of get into another lane here sure paralleling this topic cuz i do want to talk about just the general American dream and yeah. you know, way of life, right? Because I don't know what the up-to-date stats are on depression and anxiety in this country, but I know they're very high. They keep rising. Yeah. And you know that, that means that there's either something in the water, mm-hmm. something in the food, which that's a whole other podcast, or there's something in the, just the philosophical worldview. in the view, belief. You know, the way we view life.
0: Everything comes down to
1: belief. Exactly.
0: What you believe is what you do.
1: And I think that... <clears throat> The book of Ecclesiastes is probably the most instructive book from just walking alongside Solomon and his experience. It's all vanity. It, it's so instructive because it's so much, it's it so accurately characterizes the American dream. Yeah. Right off the bat in chapter two. Yeah. And I was just doing a little study on this. I'm not going to read the whole section, but I'll give you just a, a brief overview um, he begins immediately trying to find what will satisfy him. He's going to do a little social Mm -hmm. experiment. He's going to try to see if anything in his experience can satisfy him. And he first begins to test himself with pleasure. He he doesn't deny himself anything. Mm -hmm. He has the resources to get whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. And so he goes on in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and he just talks about the things that he did. He said he learned how to cheer his body with wine. He you know, built huge houses and planted vineyards for himself. He made all sorts of great real estate and architect, architectural plays, if you will. He had lots of servants. He had lots of concubines. He had tons of silver and gold. I mean, literally everything. Yeah. And he says in verse nine, summing it up, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was the reward for all of my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had made and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. It was a striving after the wind. And so he mentions himself Mm -hmm. 40 times in 11 verses. I counted them. Mm -hmm. I didn't read it all to you guys. But at the end of talking all about himself, what does he say? It was all vanity, right? Yep. It was a chasing after the wind. Any pleasure he derived, any pleasure that he got from anything mm-hmm. that he talked about was simply a derivative of chasing after the object. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he got the object in his hands, poof, it just vanished.
0: I, I love how he sums that up in verse 16 of chapter two. For there is no remembrance of the wise man along with the fool forever. Mm-hmm. Inasmuch as in the coming days, all will be forgotten and how the wise man dies with the fool. Yeah. He's just, okay, I did all this great stuff. I'm gonna be the same as the fool.
1: That's right. And, and so you know, we've done a whole yeah. massive series on Ecclesiastes, so we won't belabor that point. Mm-hmm. We did it a couple of years ago. So if listener, if you want to listen to it, you have to scroll quite far back. But, but the teaching of Ecclesiastes is, look, there's not going to be satisfaction that's lasting, that's true. Um, found anywhere else other than a true worship-filled life, Mm -hmm. uh, fearing God and obeying his commandments, as he says at the very end of the book, true pleasure is going to be found in contentment Mm -hmm. with one's lot in life, realizing that everything that comes into your life ultimately comes from the hand of the sovereign God. Mm -hmm. Um, True pleasure is going to come from living in a place of gratitude. Um, It's going to lead to a life that's full of meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because again, you know who you are. Mm-hmm. If you worship God, mm-hmm. you know who you are. You're a child of God. Mm-hmm. And he's got something for you to do. And so the reason why I wanted to bring that up again is because it really does illustrate the American way of life. Absolutely. You know, we just got to go out and attain. We have to go out and get this thing. And as soon as I get it, then I'll be satisfied. Yeah. But Solomon consistently says... Any pleasure you're gonna have from that is gonna be derived from chasing the object. Yeah. As soon as you get it in your hand, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded of you know Olympic athletes. It's been four years, eight years maybe, mm-hmm. training for that gold. And this is well documented. When they finally get it, many of them are very depressed the next day. Yeah. Right? Same thing with guys who win the Super Bowl. Very depressed the next day. Yeah. Any pleasure they would get is now gonna be is now gone. Right. Right. So that can lead to a depression absolutely right and and the process of chasing after that thing is full of lots of dopamine and serotonin and lots mm. of highs and, and mm. some lows but but i'm telling you like that is that is probably the sole reason yeah no i shouldn't say sole the most common reason yeah. why people are feeling depressed in our nation today and around the world really, that's right and around the world and western nations in particular for sure we have a problem of too much pleasure and we're der- we're trying to derive pleasure and satisfaction out of things that can't give it.
0: Well, and we're trying to define our identity by those things. That's right. And that's where it really hits to despair and hopelessness. Yeah. You know, you ask the question, why why do so many um, actors and rock stars commit suicide? It's that very thing: is they hit the top and they realize there's nowhere else. Everything they're like Solomon. I got everything. Yeah. But you hear many of them talk on podcasts and stuff about how, like, after the concert or whatever, it's like, then they go back to their room and oh. no one's cheering their name anymore. And it's just like, Ugh, yeah. what's this? Yeah. You know, how do I come down off this high? You know, all yeah. this kind of stuff. And they usually turn to drugs and things of that nature. And it just goes together. Yeah. So it's that very idea. And, and we all do it to, our, to a degree. We're, we're talking about actors and, you know, people like that. But
1: well, pastors, when they preach, pastors, mean, the same kind of thing can happen.
0: Businessmen, yeah. you know, you. Close the deal, and yeah, and now it's, well, we got to get the next deal. You know, it's yeah. just never ending. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I think that's why in our area, suicide rates are the highest um, yeah. in our state and 7% higher than the entire nation because we live in an affluent area, and a lot of those suicides are from middle-aged businessmen because yeah. they get all the stuff. They got the vacation home, they got the retirement plans, they got the cars, they got the stuff, they got the family, they got it all. And they have that same question like, where, where do I go now? Yeah. And it leads to hopelessness because the hope was in their own identity of what they've made out of these idols. Mm-hmm. One note I'll also say you know, I, I talked about the heart issues that lead to a depression. When it comes to suffering and the shame and suffering that comes at the hands of another, we have to deal with that, not only through the sovereignty of God and trusting in the justice of God and all these things, but also as counterintuitive as it seems, we, we deal with those past issues through forgiveness, mm-hmm. through Christ's forgiveness, through understanding that forgiving and moving past and trusting in the hope that we have in Christ, even though this egregious thing has happened, isn't letting the person off the hook it's trusting God's sovereign justice mm. over the person who wronged you. Um, it's Romans 12, right? Like you just, you don't seek vengeance on your own. Yeah. Um, you trust the Lord with that. Because here's the thing. No sin that you've ever experienced that has been done to you will go unpunished. There's only two places that that'll get dealt with. Either they'll suffer for it forever in a place called hell or God will bring calamity into their life in some way as well as hell, or the Lord in his grace would forgive them, Mm -hmm. they would repent, and their sin would be dealt with on the cross the same as your sin. And that's a tough one to wrap your head around when someone's done that. Mm -hmm. How could I forgive and how could could this person get the same forgiveness I've gotten? Mm -hmm. Which really what we have to work through is a, a good understanding of the doctrine of sin Mm-hmm. and how our sin is egregious to the Lord in the same way. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot around that. Forgiveness doesn't mean reentering into a relationship with that person. It doesn't mean um, trusting them.
1: We did a podcast series yeah. on forgiveness.
0: We've done all that. Yeah, And there, there's a lot of factors to work out there, and that takes time. So I hope that everyone listening can understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do, and I'm not saying that this is something that you you should just uh, click your fingers and it happens, and I'm also not saying that this is not worked through with a ton of compassion and understanding. Mm-hmm. That's why we have lamentations and we have psalms like that. God understands the suffering that you face. Yeah, he does. It doesn't go unnoticed.
1: Yeah, I, I want to get into the final portion mm-hmm. of this podcast and, and read Ecclesiastes 7.14, this is so good. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Yeah. It says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. Yeah. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And so the question is, what do we do? Right? If we're suffering from depression, we, we're now getting help. We are beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're, we're beginning to understand who we are in Christ okay, so, so what do I do just day in and day out? Because mm-hmm. the reality is the world's still fallen, still broken. And, and I'm just gonna use, you know, basically what Solomon says as, as the instruction. And then I'd love to hear what, what you say, mm-hmm. Chad, but in chapter nine of Ecclesiastes, he says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. And so he basically says, live your life, understand that whatever comes down the pike is ultimately coming from the Lord. And your hope is going to be not in mm-hmm. this life, but in the life to which you go. Now he paints it in a pretty um, negative light. There, there's mm-hmm. no, there's nothing in Sheol to where you're going. But you know, their understanding of the afterlife wasn't quite as developed as our understanding.
0: Yeah,
1: um, Sheol was was just the place of the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not till the New Testament where you get a much more fuller comprehension of the um, the glories of heaven, etc. But Nonetheless, an Old Testament saint had faith in God and knew that God was good and that when we pass, we're going to be with him. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, when we, when we are starting to, to kind of walk in this new way of life where depression no longer enslaves us,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we can have hope. We can have joy. Uh, life is going to look very much the same, mm-hmm. but with some new color, right? Yeah, you're yeah. still going to go to work. You're still going to have the relationships you have. But- man we 've got hope we 've got color, and we 've got real true lasting satisfaction in christ mm-hmm.
0: that 's right. I agree with that. I really don 't have a whole lot to add. Um, as we think through this subject of depression, what Solomon says here is is very helpful, and I just couple that with what Paul says back in Philippians chapter one, to live as Christ to die as gain. Everything that we are. Doing everything that God is shaping us for as His children is to be holy to be to find our worth and identity and hope in Christ alone and to glorify Him with our lives. Mm-hmm. Anything that we would put our hope in outside of that will only cause destruction and devastation, and depression is one of those factors that comes into play mm-hmm. um, so it's a hopeful thing to know that there is an answer yes, the gospel is the answer. It it will take some walking out, and it will take the body coming alongside of one another and helping someone walk through those things. Yes, but there is hope,
1: and that's the the key element that we didn't spend a lot of time on. But I do want to mention it. it's like yeah. ultimately going back to the the Ecclesiastes example. He was talking about himself the entire time, and he was totally dissatisfied with life. Uh, if you're depressed, go out and start serving other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Make your life all about service and other people out of a place for love uh, for the love of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, if you're in Christ, you're called to it. And I'll tell you, Chad, every time I sit down with someone to to counsel them or or just help them with something, it just works out. I feel great, right? The Lord said, Bless it's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, I mean, when we get outside of ourselves life takes on a whole new dynamic, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's a joyful dynamic. Yeah. It's a good dynamic. And so uh, as part of kind of leaving depression in the rear view mirror, remember, man, your life is not all about you. It's about Mm -hmm. God and it's about other people. Mm -hmm. And and that truly will be a blessed life. Yeah. Amen. Well, we thank y'all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. I will talk to you soon. Bye.